At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. When we think about Christmas and Christmas time, uh, we think about gifts, right? And, and this week is, is no different because when we think about gifts at Wildwood this last week, we have had the privilege of reaching out and sharing Christmas gifts with 600 children in our community that had needs. Uh, as a part of the Mission Norman Christmas Shop, we had families coming here on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and they were able to receive a number of, of wonderful Christmas presents, toys that were you know, picked out just for those children with them in mind, clothes that would fit them, uh, wrapping paper and bows, and a number of different things were put together in packages that were given to families that came by as a part of the Mission Norman Christmas Shop. And as someone who works here, I had the privilege of seeing all of those things being accumulated over the last several weeks. This room where you sit, there, were, there was clothing all throughout this room in different sizes that were being organized to give to different children and families as they came. And so we saw this beginning to bloom and to blossom. But the interesting thing was, how do we figure out which bag of toys and which clothes went to which kid? And the answer to that was, through the ingenious planning of those who were working on this, because they had the families who were in need of gifts, gave their names and their sizes, and then all of those things were gathered together, and they were put in bags with different children's names on them, so that when families came outside, we were able to bring them their bag of gifts that were designed especially for them. Now, this is important because every gift that was collected at the Mission Norman Christmas Shop was not for every child. Every article of clothing was not for everyone. But they were collected and curated specifically for each family that we were able to bless this last week. I was thinking about that as it relates to Christmas in general, and especially related to Jesus being the Christmas gift. Jesus clearly came to give gifts. Ephesians chapter 1 says that through Christ, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to us. John chapter 1 says that through Jesus we have been given grace upon grace, gift after gift. But, but how do we know that those gifts are for us? How do we know that our name is on the bag? Well, friends, we know that because inside of the Christmas account that is told to us in Scripture, we see different categories of people who are intended to receive the Christmas gift. And as we see the, these categories of people referenced, we can find each and every one of us inside one of these categories or even inside of all of these categories as we remember that Jesus is a gift that is intended for you and is intended for me. Now, so far in our series, we have looked at a number of different groups. The, the first week of our series, we saw that Jesus is the gift that was given to the distressed in this world. And we saw that in Isaiah's prophecy. And then in the second week of the series, we saw how Jesus is the gift to the decent, people like Mary and Joseph, who also were in need of a Savior. But today we're going to continue this series by talking about how Jesus is also the gift for the dirty, those who are sinful and broken, who were also given this gift of Jesus. And we're going to see that in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. But before we look at those verses, I want us to think for just a moment about what our culture says 
about Christmas gifts. What our culture says about Christmas gifts is that gifts are intended for certain people. As a matter of fact, we sing songs that are supposed to be encouraging at this time of year that talks about how Christmas gifts are only intended for, only given to people who are on particular lists. What am I talking about? Well, let's just think about this song. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Now, that's ominous, isn't it? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness' sake. Are we all encouraged now by this wonderful story that we sing about, right? When we think about Christmas gifts, built inside of one of the prominent stories that we share is this notion that only the nice will receive the gift. Only those who have impressed will receive a gift at Christmas time. And there is a system for finding out who is nice. There are elves on shelves who are watching our every movement and our actions to report back to Santa. Now, when we think about that idea, I know what some of you might be thinking. Some of you might be thinking, I can pull one past Santa Claus because that elf is only on the shelf of one room, and there are many rooms in my house. Or, or you are, are thinking, I can behave in a certain way at certain times to fool Santa that I am worthy to be on the nice list so that I can get the Xbox or, or whatever it is that you want this Christmas season. There, there might be some thought of that. But the reality is, when we move from the stories that we tell at Christmas time to the historical account of Jesus Christ, what we find is a different reality. You see, in, in Jesus, friends, we do have one who sees us when we're sleeping. We do have one who knows when we're awake. We do have one who knows if we've been bad or good, and there's no way to fool him, for goodness sakes, right? We, we, we know a God who sees everything that we have done, everything that we have thought, everywhere that we can go. And because we, we know a God who is that knowledgeable about our lives, we all ought to be terrified because none of us pass the test. All of us ultimately end up on the naughty list, right? All of us fall short of God's glorious standard in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. Now, I'm not saying that all of us are as bad as we, we might be, but what I'm saying is that all of us have fallen short of the perfect standard. And if the Christmas gift is only available to those who are perfect, if the Christmas gift is available only to those who are nice, then none of us will receive the gift of Jesus this Christmas. But what we see in the gospel accounts and what we see in the New Testament is a different story. What we see is that Jesus came not for the healthy, but for the sick. Not for the clean, but for the dirty. Not for the sinless, but for the sinful. And he talked about it throughout his life. In contrast to this song, listen to what Jesus said. 
In Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came for those in trouble. He came for those in need of rescue. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5. He said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Jesus did not come for the clean. He came for the dirty. He did not come for the nice. He came for the naughty. Paul would say in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, when thinking about this very idea, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, what we have in the gift of Jesus is a gift that is not intended only for those that have it all together, but it's intended for us who are broken and sinful and have all kinds of problems and fall short in so many ways. And friends, we don't have to just hope that that's true, but we see it tagged for us in the historical account of Jesus' birth. As we look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20, and the invitation of the shepherds, the dirty, to come and to be with Jesus on the night of his birth. I want to read for us those verses in Luke chapter 2, and then we'll back up and I'll make three observations from these verses for us today. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, says this. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now, in those verses, verses that are no doubt familiar to us who have heard them read many times at this time of year, we're going to see three things today that will remind us how the gift of Jesus is for us. Well, what are those things? The first thing is this. The gift is for us. The gift is for us. Now, we see this come clear as we see this invitation that comes to the shepherds. Now, when we see the angels show up this night and invite the shepherds to come to see Jesus, we are not surprised. Why? Why are we not surprised? Again, we're not surprised because shepherds have been in the nativity box in our attic every year. We buy sets that remember the birth of Jesus, and those sets include shepherds. And we store them all in a box together, and we set them on a shelf, and every Christmas we get them out. So when we see shepherds being invited to the birth of Jesus, we go, of 
course, shepherds are invited to see Jesus. But don't allow our familiarity with the story to get in the way of what surprising news this actually was. For shepherds to be invited was something remarkable, and it symbolized something very important for you and for me. Well, let's think about it. Shepherds were not religious leaders. Who might we expect to be invited to see the birth of the Son of God? Scribes and priests, religious leaders, church-going folk. That's who we would have expected to be invited, not shepherds. Scholars, not farmers. And yet, the invitation comes to the shepherds. Now, the shepherds who were invited to come were not just people, ordinary folk, but they were people who were ordinary folk who had some particular religious, you know, shade thrown upon them. Well, what was that? Well, shepherds were ceremonially unclean. Because they spent their time out dealing with animals and everything that comes out of those animals, they were considered ceremonially unclean. Because they would often have to be in proximity to dead animals, they were considered ceremonially unclean. So from a religious perspective, the the religious people looked at the shepherds and they said, they are dirty, they are not allowed to come inside. Now, there was a plan inside of Judaism for dirty people to be made clean and be allowed to worship. And the way that that would happen was these ceremonially unclean people would be clean. There There was a process and a plan for that. But the problem for the shepherd was their job kept them separated from the temple. They didn't have time to go through those purification rites so that they might be able to come in and worship. So not only were they deemed ceremonially unclean, but they had no way of being cleansed. And so they kept their time away. You know, you might think about that. If you know someone who raises cattle uh, or, or has animals they look after, animals they shepherd, those animals don't give them a day off. They don't give them a break. Some of you understand this. You, you work in the healthcare field. People don't just wait to get sick, right? They get sick all the time on holidays and weekends. Those of you who work in oil and gas, that you want that oil and gas well to be, be churning all of the time. And so there are people out who are working right now in the cold, regardless of temperature, to take care of that. Animals are the same way. Those who are charged with the care of animals, they, they are at work all the time. They cannot leave them. I, I have a little bit of a taste of this in that right now my family has begun shepherding a, a beagle puppy. And as we shepherd this beagle puppy, one thing that we're reminded of is that beagle puppy never gives us the day off. He doesn't go, oh, it's Saturday. I'll sleep a little later today so that you have time to, to just sleep in and get a little extra shut-eye. My, my dog has never done that. Like clockwork at 6.30, he begins to bay and howl and, and rustle around saying, let me out. And then if I don't let him out, he lets me know that I should have let him out. This is the way it is with animals. And this is the way it was with the shepherds. And so these shepherds who were normal folks, who were deemed religiously unclean, ceremonially unclean, with no hope of being cleansed, were out in the field on this night, and they are the ones, not the religious leaders, they are the ones who are invited to come and to see Jesus. Now, friends, that was the plan that played out, and it was very, very intentional. It was intentional that God got the invitation to the shepherds. 
Why? Well, Paul reflected on this idea, I think, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when he says this, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Friends, the shepherds were very intentionally invited so that you and I might know today that we who are not of noble birth, we who have normal jobs, we who might even be looked at sideways by some if we come to a religious service, might have hope in Jesus. The invitation very intentionally went to them so that we would know that He is for us. Now, not only was that pictured in the invitation to the shepherds, but there's also something very special about the shepherds. There were a couple of different ideas that lay behind what the shepherds did and who they were taking care of that would prove helpful for us in understanding the significance of Jesus' birth and His life and His death and ultimately His resurrection. Well, what were those things? First of all, Jesus Himself refers to Himself as the Good Shepherd. In John chapter 10, He he pictures Himself as a good shepherd who cares for His sheep. Shepherds are invited. They're they're a great representation of the kind of care that God was to provide for His people, the kind of care that God provides for you and for me. God gets up with us in our moments of unsettledness. God sits with us in moments of our concern and our worry. God provides for us when we need food and provision. God protects us when... Those are warring against us. Friends, God is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And so in the shepherds, we have a picture that helps us understand something of who Jesus was. But not only would he be a good shepherd, but ultimately Jesus would also be the great sheep. He would be the one who would be the lamb of God who would be sacrificed for the sins of his people. Remember in John chapter 1 and verse 29, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says to Jesus in that moment, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What did he mean by that? Well, what John meant by that was the Jewish people had celebrated the Passover since the time of Moses. And at the Passover meal, they would sacrifice a lamb in the temple. And that lamb that was sacrificed would be a reminder of a temporary covering of their sin until Messiah would eventually come. What John was saying as he saw Jesus was he said, Jesus is the one who ultimately will die to pay the penalty that the people of God have for their sins so that we might be forgiven and be connected to God forever. See, that's who Jesus was. That's what he was to do. And those shepherds who were out tending those flocks in the fields outside of Bethlehem were most likely caring for temple flock sheep. See, those sheep that were sacrificed at the Passover had to be raised and cared for somewhere. Most likely they were cared for in the fields outside of Bethlehem, right outside the city of Jerusalem, 
where they would one day be offered as a temporary covering for sin. On this night, the shepherd or the, the angels show up and say to the shepherds, hey, you're watching these sheep that will provide temporary covering. We want you to come and see the real deal. We want you to come and see the lamb that will be slain, that will bring not temporary covering, but ultimate covering and forgiveness for our sins. Friends, in this account of the shepherds and in their invitation to be included in this moment, we're reminded that the gift of Jesus is for us. And so I can say with confidence, as you are here today, whether you are someone who has known Christ and trusted Him and followed Him for your whole life, that this morning you might be encouraged and reminded that Jesus is the gift for you and we live in light of His provision in this moment. But if you are here today and you have never trusted in Christ, you're, you're watching online or you're here with us in this room and, and you are just trying to figure out this moment and you're wondering, could Jesus have anything to do with me? Could he cleanse me of my sins? The answer to that, friends, is absolutely a resounding yes. He came for you. As a demonstration of his love, he offered his life on the cross. Take the penalty that your sins and my sins deserve so that all who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the gift for us. We received it and embraced it in faith. The first thing we see from these verses Second thing, though, that I think it's important for us to see is that this gift is good. This gift is good. Now, this is important for us to see because we are familiar with gifts that we might rank as not so good, right? If you don't believe me, just ask your kids. They're hoping for Legos and they get socks. They're not fired up about that. Socks are actually on my Christmas list this year, but they're probably not on the Christmas list of a six or a seven-year-old. We're familiar with the concept of a good gift. Friends, when you think about Jesus as a gift, he's not just a gift. He is not just a good gift. He is a great gift. And we find out just how great of a gift Jesus is as we look at what the angels say to the shepherds on this night about the birth of Jesus. What do they say? The first thing that we see happen is the glory of the Lord shows up. On that night, and the, the angels look up. It says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, again, we're so familiar with the story that that line has lost its effect on us, but it did not lose its effect on the shepherds. See, it's not normal for the glory of the Lord to fill the sky outside of Bethlehem. I've been there. I've seen the sky. It was, it was dark at night. Glory of the Lord did not shine there, just some streetlights. That was it. But on this night, the glory of the Lord shone. And it, it wasn't just a big deal in that moment. It was a big deal historically. Because what we see inside of Scripture was the glory of the Lord had actually left the people of Israel a number of years before Jesus was born. See, there was a, a temple that was built, and, and God in His grace, in His Spirit, had inhabited that temple not contained there, but he inhabited it in his grace in the Old Testament times. But what had happened was, because of their repeated disobedience, the glory of God actually moved out of the temple in the Old Testament era. We see that pictured for us in Ezekiel chapter 10. 
And when the glory of the Lord left, then the people of God are taken off into exile, and eventually they come back, and the book of Haggai talks about the reconstruction of a much smaller temple. And then later on, at the era when Jesus was born, that temple was expanded by King Herod into a much more impressive structure, one of the wonders of the ancient world. But what's interesting about Haggai's temple and what's interesting about the temple that Herod added to is that the glory of God never moved back into that temple left in the time of Ezekiel, did not return in the way that he had left. When does the glory of God show back up? Not in a building, but in a barn. Not in a room, but in a baby. And when Jesus is born, the glory of God shines about him. John chapter 1, verse 14 says that we have seen Jesus, we have seen the glory of God, full of grace and full of truth. Friends, the gift is good because when Jesus shows up, the glory of the Lord we have access to again. God is with us. He is among us. We can know Him. We can relate to Him. Not only does the glory of the Lord shine around them, though, but they don't need to fear. The angel says, fear not. Now, this was an important thing to say because when an angel shows up in the sky, the shepherds are freaking out. They're afraid, or as Linus would say, they are Somebody's seen the Charlie Brown Christmas show. They are sore afraid, right? Those angels are afraid. They are sore afraid. Why? Because they don't know why those angels are there. Are they there to judge them or to punish them? No. The angel shows up and says, this appearance of the glory of God, this appearance of angels in the sky is not to harm you, but to help you going to do something amazing for you. We need to remember that because like those who have, you know, were there that first night in those shepherds, so we today sit on this side of Jesus' second coming. And so the, the, the first coming of Jesus is something that we need not fear. It is something that we should run to and flock to, something that we should celebrate, something that we should embrace. Because if we embrace Jesus at his first coming, then we need to fear not when he comes again. Because he came not to judge in Bethlehem. He came to save, to seek and to save the lost, to cleanse the dirty like you and like me. Friends, the gift is good because the glory of God showed up. It's good because we need not fear God, but we can embrace and be cleansed by Him. It brings us good news. It brings us good news. And that good news is what the gospel is all about. It's the good news, according to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, for for how the righteousness of God gets credited to our account, how God would receive us as righteous, not by our performance, but by us believing in Jesus. And by that belief, God credits to us the righteousness that he has. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 talks about this when he when Paul says this in that, those verses, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Friends, God loves us. He sent Jesus to die for us so that we might be given the riches of God. 
that we might be blessed by him, that we might be seen righteous in God's eyes. Friends, that is good news. And that good news leads to great joy. We were created to have a relationship with God. Our sin broke that relationship. But by God's grace, that relationship can be repaired. It can be mended in a permanent way so that we might have a hope of eternity in front of us and the provision of the Spirit of God for this moment. Friends, it's good news of great joy, and it's for all the people. It's for the shepherds and for the magi. It's for you and it's for me. It's for the Jew and for the Gentile. It's for the Norman High and the Norman North crowd. It's for OU and Texas or OSU. It's it's for all of us, right? It's for Americans and it's for people of different cultures around the world. Friends, this message and this hope and this good news, we don't have to go, I wonder if, it's, if I am included in the guest list. The angel said so that night. It is good news of great joy for all the people. If you're here today. You're in all the people. This is a gift for us. Unto us, a Savior is born, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he has come to bring us peace. And the peace that Jesus gives is a peace that is unlike any other peace that is found in this world. You know, our world, just like the world of the first century, has many different demonstrations of peace. We think about peace in the Middle East, and it happens even, I saw this this last week, there was an agreement between Israel and Morocco, and you think about peace that is established between nations as treaties are signed and things like that. The first century was no different. There was a peace that came upon the world by Rome conquering the known world around the Mediterranean Sea. It was something called the Pax Romana or the Peace of Rome. But that kind of a peace is not the peace that Jesus is is going to bring and provide in this moment. Instead, the peace that Jesus provides is a peace that is going to go deeper than that. Not just peace between nations, but peace between God and man. First century philosopher by the name of Epictetus said this of the peace that Rome provided. He said, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. Friends, our world has temporary peace that is known a lot of forms. But what Jesus has come to do is to provide a lasting peace between God and us. Friends, Jesus is good news of great joy for all of us. As we gather today, as we reflect upon this gift, may may all of us just savor in it a bit today. Let's remember that this is a good gift. and It's the reason why we We sing of it and the reason why we read of it and the reason why we come back again and again and again some 2,000 years later to the person of Jesus because he is the center point of our hope for all time. The gift is good. But there's a third thing that we need to see inside of these verses. And that third thing is this. The gift is real. The gift is real. And I think that's important for us to see. It's not that Jesus is an idea or an ideal. God didn't send us a card that said, I love you. God did something far more than that. 
Jesus really was born. He really came into this world. And our hope is anchored to something that actually happened in history. Look at what happens with the the shepherds. It says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Something happened. And they went to go check it out. Now, as they go to go check it out, it, it was so important for them to check it out that the angels actually gave an identifier so that they would know which baby to look for. What was that identifier? You see it in the scripture? What was it? Go find the baby that is placed in what? The manger. Now, every baby would have been wrapped in some cloths, but babies were not placed in horse troughs. And so the angel says, shepherds, I want you to go check this out. I want you to go see what happened. And you're going to go into the town of Bethlehem. And when you get there, this is how you will find the baby that all of this is centered around. It's going to be the one that is lying in the horse trough. And so away they go. And you can imagine them going into the village and they're knocking on doors. They're looking in windows. You know, is there anybody? There's a child in here. Where is it? Well, he's, he's in a bed. Okay, keep going, keep going. And they're, they're moving around. And eventually they would come to a particular residence and they, they would look inside and they would say, hey, guess what? In, in this place, there's a baby that is lying in a horse trough. And about that time, you would see the mom and the dad of that baby kind of look up. Who are you and why are you here? And those shepherds would look back and say, we're here because an angel told us about this. And you know what mom and dad would say at that point? You're here because an angel told you? Guess what? We're here because an angel told us about this moment too, nine months ago. We're so glad to see you because it's a reminder again of what's going on is is not just natural, but it's supernatural. Something happened that could be checked out, and, and, and the baby Jesus did not stay a baby, and he wasn't placed in a closet, and he wasn't rushed away to some mountain in northern Tibet so that no one could see him, but he actually grew up in public with a life that was recorded in history, a life that would see him walk on water and heal the sick and, and teach with authority. And all of those things ultimately would culminate in his crucifixion, but also his resurrection, So that in history, something could have happened that our faith can be anchored to. And so, friends, it's important for us to remember on this time of year that our faith is not something that is tied just to an idea or an ideal, but it's tied to the God who stepped into history for us. Given that that's the case, will we, like the shepherds, run to the Manger, will we run to see Jesus? Well, where can we find out about him? Well, certainly we can find out about him. We can run to see him by looking at the historical accounts found in Scripture. Matthew chapter 1 and 2, Luke chapter 1 and 2 are the two most prominent sections of God's Word that deal with the birth of Jesus. We could go and read about them. You might like, I'm reading this, but I want to know more about what it means. That's why we've written these devotionals uh, for Christmas time. You can go and and read those, and access can be found on our website. It can help us make sense of these verses. But, But reading those can be a way for us to run and check out the person of Christ like the shepherds did. 
But for others in the room, you might have other questions, other intellectual questions about the person of Jesus, wondering, did this really happen? And if that's the case, know that there are some resources that you can turn to to verify what happened in history regarding the person of Christ. One set of books are, are the Case for books that Lee Strobel has written, the Case for Christ, the, the Case for Faith, the Case for Miracles. He's even got one called the Case for Christmas. You could go and, and read to find out the historical events surrounding the birth of Jesus or his life or effect. Also, there's a a great book if you have questions about Christianity in general. There is a great book that that explores the 12 most commonly asked questions of Christianity. It's a book called I'm Glad You Asked by Boa and Moody. You can find both of those on Amazon. Um, But if you are someone who is struggling with these kinds of things, go see what happened and see it talked about in these resources. Friends, the gift is real. Let's go and see what happened. And as we do, let's not just treat it as some intellectual exercise. Look at what the, the shepherds did. When, when they go and they, they see what happened, they don't just go, well, that was interesting. I'm going to write a term paper about what I saw. Oh, what do they do? They glorify and they praise God. They couldn't believe it. They were, they, there was worship that came out of their response. And as we look at the events of Christmas and as we go to see what really happened, at the birth of Christ. May it also inspire within us worship and praise that would lead to not just our singing and and not just our our reading, but also would lead to our obedience. If, If this is really God who is born, then what He says ought to matter about how I live my life. We're willing to do that. The shepherds seems like they were willing to do that. They go and they responded by praising God. But even beyond just thinking about this in terms of embracing it for ourselves, look at what else the shepherds did. They also, when they saw what was going on, they did not keep that message to themselves, but they they went and they told everybody that they saw about what they had seen so that others might know of Christ as well. And when Jesus gets a hold of our hearts, and at this time of year as we remember who he is and what he has done for us, we remember what has happened. God, inspire us to share that message with those around us as well. Friends, the gift is real. In this time of year, we remember, we remember that God has given the gift of Jesus to us. Would you pray with me? Father God, may we be a people who open by faith this gift that you have given through Jesus. Thank you for the inclusion of the shepherds as it reminds us of your great provision for dirty people, common people like me. Father, may we all find our cleansing in Christ, our hope and forgiveness in him. And we're thankful that you have provided through him for us a shepherd and a lamb. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.